Today we shall continue with our wisdom series of Fertner talks. Yesterday you know, the talk was on impermanence and uh, today it will be on unsatisfactoriness. And uh, the Pali technical term for this is uh, what? Sukha or Dukkha? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Pali technical term for this is obviously Dukkha. If you would have said Sukha, then I would have said Dukkha. <laughs> and so, so with regard to this unsatisfactoriness, the Buddha himself in the Samyutta Nikaya has said the following. Namely, he distinguishes three kinds of unsatisfactoriness. And uh, there in you know, Samyutta Nikaya 45, uh, 165, it says, bhikkhus or bhikkhunis uh, or meditators, there are these three kinds of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. What three? Unsatisfactoriness owing to pain. Then as number two, unsatisfactoriness owing to formations. And then unsatisfactoriness owing to change. And uh, these are the three kinds of unsatisfactoriness. The Noble Eightfold Path is to be developed you know, for direct knowledge of these certain uh, three kinds of suffering, for you know, the you know, full understanding of them, you know, for their utter destruction, for you know, their abandoning. And the Pali word dukkha can be etymologically be explained as follows, and I'm following the explanations given by Venerable Analayo in his book Satipatthana, where he draws on the Sanskrit version of dukkha and so the word dukkha can be broken up into do and ka, and so, you know, the ka in Sanskrit stands for an axle hole of a wheel, and do or dus in Sanskrit, so, you know, then the pani do, you know, Sanskrit do or dus in English means difficulty or badness. Hence, the you know, Sanskrit word dukkha you know, then literally mean, mean, means an axle that is not fitting properly into you know, the axle hole. And so, you know, this you know, then can be taken to mean disharmony or you know, friction. And a second now, explanation of uh, the same uh, Pali term is, uh, again, based on the Sanskrit, is as uh, do, namely difficulty or badness, and sta, which uh, then in Sanskrit means standing or abiding. Hence, the compound term dukkha then means standing badly or uneasiness, being uncomfortable. And so, you know, from this, you know, then we can derive uh, you know, the English translation as unsatisfactoriness or you know, suffering. Now, the 
commentaries explain the threefold unsatisfactoriness, the threefold dukkha in the following ways. Namely, that the unsatisfactoriness owing to pain is, well, unpleasant or painful bodily and mental feeling. So please notice here that dukkha is with reference to a feeling, and among them, there are three of them, with reference to a painful feeling. And it may refer both or relate to a bodily feeling or a mental feeling. Now, the second uh, case of uh, dukkha is uh, that of unsatisfactoriness owing to formation, sankhara dukkata in the Pali scriptural language. The first one was dukkha dukkata. And uh, here, this refers to all conditioned phenomena of uh, the three planes, namely because they are oppressed by rise and fall, or to express this differently, because formations are oppressed uh, by occurrence and uh, passing away, arising uh, arising and uh, passing away, appearing and disappearing. And the third kind of unsatisfactoriness is given in Pali as viparinama dukkata, and this refers to unsatisfactoriness owing to change, and it refers to a pleasant feeling, namely, which then leads to unsatisfactoriness when it comes to an end. And These uh, three kinds of unsatisfactoriness will then uh, be further explained in the course of uh, the talk. And the talk, uh, today's talk as well as uh, yesterday's, uh, is uh, based on, well, explanations uh, given by the uh, venerable uh, Jnana Rama, a meditator and scholarly monk from Sri Lanka. And in his book, The Seven Contemplations, we find three contemplations mentioned, namely the contemplation of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and of non-self. And this... Unsatisfactoriness, if uh, we contemplate it again and again, uh, then it leads uh, to you know, the abandoning of uh, the wrongful perception as certain uh, pleasure. And uh, you know, the pani for this is uh, dukkha, you know, dukkha nupasanam bhavento, sukha sanyam pajahati. And the Buddha once asked a disputant by the name of Sachaka, well, if formations are impermanent, 
No, or no, no, he asks first whether formations are you know, permanent or impermanent. And uh, to this, uh, you know, the disputant Sajaka you know, replies they are impermanent. And then uh, the follow-up question by the Buddha was, well, if formations are impermanent, then are they pleasurable or painful? And to this, the disputant agrees by saying that they are painful. And now, the, again, just like with, or like in the case of impermanence, we need to distinguish between that which is unsatisfactory, the thing that is unsatisfactory, and the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness. Now, the thing that is unsatisfactory are the conditioned phenomena um, related to you know, the you know, five aggregates or as part of the five aggregates. So any kind of you know, phenomenon uh, that is conditioned by you know, impermanence, by unsatisfactoriness and by non-self. And so the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness itself is that of, uh, well, you know, oppression, you know, by uh, the appearance and disappearance of formations, the um, suppression, the obstruction, and you know, the fearfulness that comes about you know, through this origination and you know, dissolution of you know, the formations. Now, let us elaborate what is meant by dukkha dukkata, namely unsatisfactoriness uh, owing you know, to uh, pain. And when you think of your, your own meditation practice, you know, then in terms of bodily, you know, bodily pain or bodily unsatisfactoriness, what have you come across so far? Or a little of everything. So now then, what is this everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very specific examples, even. Stabbing, tearing, pulling, crushing, hardness. Yes. What? Burning. Burning. Yes. Anything else? Sharp. Yes. And. No? Tingling. Tingling, yeah. Yeah, tingling, or even tingling can be painful. Yes, okay. And. Extreme uh, agitation. Huh? Extreme agitation of certain nerves. Oh, extreme agitation of certain nerves. That, uh, yes. Uh, we could include that near yeah, this. Um, and so. Uh, and to add here, to add here, the so-called uh, kicking, uh, kicking, uh, kicking leg syndrome. Uh, apparently, there are people now who are suffering from this. So every once in a while, the leg is so, uh, uh, it, so it seems in, involuntarily kicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a spasm. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, anything else? Um, oh, what about shooting pains? Yes, you agree. Shooting pains and uh, uh, then pricking. Oh, poking pains. Yes. yes. 
Okay, so uh, there are probably, um, and then in terms of, uh, well, the intensity, we can distinguish between uh, excruciating and unbearable pains, and then, uh, the, well, venerable Viranyani already mentioned sharp, uh, and then acute, intense certain pains are around, and uh, some of them are you know, just uh, dull pains. They're still pains, but they're somewhat dull. So they come in a, in a variety of uh, the intensity. And so then the unsatisfactoriness is uh, limited to just uh, these physical pains, or is there some more? Oh, the reactions to the pain. So, in, in you know, the reaction comes in which form? Anger or fear? Oh, anger, fear, yes. Depression? Depression, yes. <laughs> huh? Oh, aversion, yes. What else? What else can you think of? Impatience. Impatience. Discouragement, yes. And uh, let's say you know, you're separated from your you know, uh, loved one then. You feel all happy? Ah, oh, loneliness, sadness, yes, sorrow, lamentation, grief and despair. <laughs> so all of these uh, no, no, wonderful no, things. No, distress, so we haven't mentioned distress yet. Um, so and the list is quite, uh, no, quite long. And uh, when... You know, we come across these certain uh, physical forms and mental forms of uh, unsatisfactoriness, and then usually we feel you know, really great and uh, <laughs> jubilating. Huh? Well, usually not. Um, however, um, and so, or to ask differently, well, some people you know, say with regard to Buddhism that it's uh, you know, well, you know, a system of philosophy and psychology uh, that uh, uh, is rather pessimistic. So, would you agree to this? Oh, you don't agree. Oh, I'm glad to hear. So, <laughs> so then... Now then, <laughs> now then, what makes you say this? <laughs> it's a reality, yes, indeed. And as meditators, do we learn to uh, live with this or cope uh, with the unsatisfactoriness or not? We do. And see, this is the point where we can you know, defeat certain, you know, those who say, oh, Buddhism is also negative and pessimistic, uh, namely by pointing out events uh, um, in you know, the meditation practice, we just see reality for what it is, and dukkha is just a part of human existence, and there's no way to deny this. And you know, with the help of the meditation practice, we learn you know, to accept dukkha as dukkha, and to, to deal with it in positive uh, ways. And as such, you know, once we manage to do this, uh, you know, we, you know, it will be much easier to go through you know, life uh, you know, than for a person who you know, has not you know, uh, taken a course in you know, meditation. 
And now, when we, an ordinary, an ignorant being, however, who goes through life without many reflections, in the face of bodily as well as mental unsatisfactoriness, will do what? Ah, change posture, yes, indeed. <laughs> and quit, certainly, yes, is correct. What else? Look for pleasures. Look for pleasures and to add here, you know, distract himself or herself. So, if some you know, difficult mental state, unsatisfactory mental state, something comes up, and then immediately you know, such a person would look for some distraction. So, you know, maybe watching a movie or a video would be just the right ticket, or you know, maybe, what's that? Eating, yes, indeed. Oh, getting over it through eating and certainly uh, finishing off the ice cream that is left in the uh, refrigerator. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we never do this. <laughs> no, we never do this. No? <laughs> <laughs> and so, or if it's not the ice cream, then it's maybe chocolate. <laughs> and so, so, we have different ways and so the ways and means you know, to you know, get away or to cover up you know, the unsatisfactoriness. And so actually, is this really helping the situation or not? Uh, it's not helping. It's just you know, you know, covering up the whole thing, you know, but you know, it's not a real you know, solution to you know, the problem. And so... Uh, even if uh, we suffer from you know, some you know, minor uh, illness, like uh, like a cold or a cough or you know, some headache or so, a slight fever, you know, then we will you know, justify this to ourselves. Oh, well, a little bit of pain is there, but by tomorrow I'll be feeling much better again. So you know, the pain is just of a you know, very temporary nature, nothing to worry about. Now, so these forms of um, unsatisfactoriness uh, that we have collected together, both uh, physical as well as uh, mental, uh, these are referred to in the Pali scriptural language as dukkha dukkha, namely in, in intrinsic or you know, sorry inherent unsatisfactoriness, and different. From this is the so-called sankara, dukkha, or dukkata, which has to do with conditioned phenomena. Now, the conditioned phenomena which are oppressed by rise and fall, the appearance and disappearance of formations. In other words, which are oppressed by change. How wonderful would it be if we could go through life? And so, so we wake up early in the morning, and so, you know, then, um, you know, then we take a shower, and then we dress this body, 
And then we meditate a little bit uh, because this uh, you know, then provides us with uh, positive uh, you know, mental states. And then it's time for breakfast. So we have our breakfast and then we brush our teeth once and that's it. And then no more again until you know, our very last day. So how wonderful that would be if we wouldn't, if there would be no need you know, to, uh, well, take a shower you know, again and again on, on a daily basis, and then having to feed this body every day at least twice on retreat, breakfast and lunch, and then on top of this, uh, well, the body may want uh, uh, also some juice in the afternoon, and uh, and then. <laughs> And then you know, just you know, think of uh, you know, the time you could spare or we could spare or save if we wouldn't have to brush our teeth, uh, our teeth every so often. So just once in a lifetime, how nice uh, you know, this would be. So usually you know, people never reflect uh, in, in you know, this uh, way. And so, uh, they think it's quite, uh, quite okay to undergo these activities over and over again. Now, when we do, when we take food with mindfulness, when we brush our teeth with mindfulness, and in particularly slowly, then gradually we get the point that these are rather unsatisfactory activities. And so, so, what is meant by this uh, sankara dukkata is simply that certain formations keep changing all the time. The body keeps changing all the time. You know, in the morning, it's clean after we've taken a shower, but maybe a couple of hours later, it's uh, smelly again and full, you know, covered with uh, perspiration. So it needs uh, the body. This body of ours needs to be showered again. So for this, we have to take the clothes off, we have to go into the shower and meet with cold water, and then after this is done, then the body has to be clothed, clothed again. And so, so all of this is quite cumbersome. Now, Lastly, there is the so-called viparinama dukkata, the kind of unsatisfactoriness that is due to change. And this refers to pleasant feeling, namely when it changes. So, you have the great opportunity after a long time to be served an ice cream. And so then you relish eating this ice cream, and naturally it will be accompanied by a pleasant feeling. But then, unfortunately, the ice cream is not going to be around forever, and so, you know, just like all formations, Sabesankara and Nichati, all formations are impermanent, so too our ice cream is impermanent. And so, gradually it's going towards zero. 
And so, <laughs> and then, and then, as the ice cream is diminishing more and more, our pleasant feeling will do diminish with it. It will do the same thing. It will also diminish. And so this then becomes a source of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. So we would want the ice cream to go on and we want especially the pleasant feeling to go on, yet unfortunately it's not happening this way. However, now, can you think of a situation where you know, change is actually you know, welcomed so, you know, by, uh, by a person? When the situation is unpleasant. There you go, that's it. So, let's say we're experiencing some you know, strong pain or some very you know, difficult and intense unpleasant you know, the mental state, and when it changes, and in particular when it suddenly disappears, uh, then you know, this brings about uh, a sense of uh, great uh, relief. And now, when we go through life, oftentimes we're not aware, especially as non-meditators, of uh, near the existence of uh, near this unsatisfactoriness bodily and uh, uh, mental. And so instead uh, we harbor near the, or hold on near to near the near rather deep-seated notion or perception that formations are conducive to pleasure or happiness. And in order to over, uh, overcome this wrongful perception, we need to undergo, uh, well, some training. And the, the factor that covers up this characteristic of unsatisfactoriness is the main factor is that of our nature of constantly changing our posture. So let's say we sit somewhere comfortably at home on a sofa for maybe five minutes talking to another person and very much engrossed in the conversation. And with the arising of the slightest discomfort somewhere in the buttocks, we change our posture. And then... Then with this, this is immediately the discomfort is gone, and so, you know, then things are okay again, until you know, maybe a few minutes later, you know, somewhere else some discomfort arises in the body, and you know, we repeat the same maneuver again uh, in an absent-minded manner. You know, we change the posture, 
And so there's no uh, attention being paid you know, to those changes of uh, you know, posture whatsoever. Likewise, if we were you know, to you know, stand in the cold you know, for a longer period of time you know, without change of posture, you know, then you know, the uh, unsatisfactoriness owing to the cold you know, would become you know, very obvious. But uh, if we stand in the cold just for a minute or two and then you know, rush into you know, nicely you know, heated you know, room somewhere inside of a building, you know, then of course you know, we won't notice uh, the unsatisfactoriness. And so, um, this, con this habit of constantly changing you know, postures in order to alleviate unsatisfactoriness you know, causes certain, or creates, um, it creates an, a wrongful impression or you know, perception of uh, pleasure. And it's then, uh, well, it creates or we you know, thus you know, then live in a cocoon of uh, you know, pleasant experiences and not really aware of uh, reality. Now, the main reason that lies behind now, one of the very first uh, the instructions you know, during you know, the beginning of a meditation and retreat, namely you know, to you know, keep the body as still as possible, is uh, you know, just this, namely to give a meditator the chance to you know, discover the unsatisfactoriness of uh, you know, formations. And so if the instruction were, you know, well, you know, with the arising of the slightest uh, discomfort, please go ahead and uh, feel free to you know, change your posture, you know, then you know, dukkha will never be you know, seen as uh, dukkha. And so when you know, some unpleasant uh, you know, mental state arises, well, then go ahead, open the eyes, and uh, you know, start walking around and uh, enjoy uh, in one way or another. Now, now, yesterday, it was explained how uh, over uh, or in the course of the meditation practice, a meditator gradually you know, discovers this characteristic of uh, you know, impermanence. In the same way, when a meditator undertakes this meditation practice, and then over time, as he or she is going through the different insight knowledges, uh, the person will be discovering more and more you know, the uh, universal characteristic of uh, unsatisfactoriness. Now, the way this uh, happens is, uh, as usual, one starts, uh, uh, one undertakes an intensive retreat, and uh, you know, then one subjects uh, oneself. Uh, you know, to rigorous certain uh, practice, you know, one uh, you know, is well established in the precepts and you know, you know, voluntarily restrains uh, you know, the senses, does everything as slowly as possible, and uh, you know, then observes the predominant uh, you know, formations as they arise in the body and uh, in the mind. 
And um, as one does Nisso, one will you know, come across already within the first few days of a retreat, you know, well, a number of unpleasant you know, bodily you know, sensations as well as uh, a number of unpleasant uh, or painful mental you know, states. However, uh, when one uh, discovers certainly uh, these, this does not yet uh, qualify as having uh, seen uh, or discovered uh, uh, the uh, gender or universal characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, dukkha lakana, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, when some having uh, having overcome one of the stronger pains arising in the body. With this, concentration improves, and this then usually leads to tranquility or calmness of the body, which in turn leads to a sense of happiness. And happiness, sukha, is said you know, to be you know, one of the two proximate causes for the arising of uh, uh, of wisdom, and no, sorry, uh, one of the you know, proximate causes for the arising of concentration, and so with the help of you know, concentration, then the hindrances you know, will be you know, suppressed, and so, you know, with this you know, then. Um, an intuitive insight into the um, well existence of material and mental phenomena will occur. So one learns to distinguish between material phenomena and mental phenomena. And with further practice, a meditator then sooner or later we'll also understand that formations are connected by a way of cause and effect, as we've discussed already in earlier uh, in an earlier demo talk. And as one then continues with one's certain meditation practice, one starts to discover many more details within one single rising movement, many more details with regard to one single fawning movement or any other predominant object. And with this, the change, the impermanence of objects becomes pretty obvious. And but one realizes for the rising and falling, one then also finds to be true with regard to all other conditioned phenomena. They all are impermanent, they change, they're transitory, they're in a constant state of flux. And as a, as a meditator, is observing, carefully observing the rising movement of the abdomen, just to give an example, and is trying to see really clearly how it changes from moment to moment. And uh, it is at this point that unsatisfactoriness arises. Namely, 
One wants the object to remain somewhat permanent so that one can look at it more closely and has more time to investigate it, yet it's not happening. And so it is in this, it is in this way that the formations are said to be unsatisfactory. And the original meaning, the original principal meaning of unsatisfactoriness is by way of saying that the formations are oppressed by change or oppressed by the appearance and disappearance, by origination and dissolution. And to give you a worldly example, let's say we've just bought a new car, we're a proud owner of a new car, and then we drive around in it maybe for, for a week, show it off to our friends, and then some other participant in traffic decides to, well, uh, drive right into our bump into our new car, accidentally or inaccidentally, I don't know. And <laughs> and uh, this uh, you know, then changes you know, the situation for our proud car owner tremendously because because of what? Because of change. And because the car is not new anymore, it's got a big bump in it. And so, so this then, this then very much drives home the, the meaning, the original meaning of oppression through change. And it is at this point, during the third insight knowledge, that a meditator for you know, the first time uh, gains a direct and intuitive understanding into you know, the uh, unsatisfactoriness of all conditioned you know, phenomena. And so I'm saying all conditioned phenomena, you know, by this are meant all formations that are conditioned by anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And not included in this are, or is Nibbana, which is said to be a Dhamma. And what we have here, this understanding, intuitive understanding of unsatisfactoriness, it comes uh, with regard you know, to, um, or, or is sorry, is gained with regard to all formations, so all conditioned formations. And please, the way to what, what I'm trying to get at is, at the outset of uh, the practice, a meditator. You know, would normally you know, see the specific quality of an object. So the specific quality of the rising movement of the abdomen as expanding, or the specific you know, quality of the falling movement as, contra as releasing and then you know, you know, contracting, and so, 
And maybe you know the specific quality of a particular pain as being you know, a burning pain, and so on and so forth. So each object has a specific quality. And at this point in the practice, a meditator is not yet you know, seeing you know, that all these objects are impermanent and unsatisfactory. This happens only later on. And as one then continues the practice, one realizes you know, later on that certain formations uh, have, uh, all formations have a beginning, they last for a while, they may change, and uh, then uh, they have an ending, they disappear. So this too then applies to all conditioned uh, formations. And uh, it is uh, then only that a meditator realizes that not only the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, but any other predominant conditioned phenomenon will share the same characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, and including, even including the mental states. So they too, ultimately speaking, are unsatisfactory. Now, this you know, then may lead to a rather challenging statement, namely as even a pleasant or wholesome mental state like happiness, uh, ultimately speaking, turns out to be unsatisfactory and for you to reflect on. Now, um, this seems like uh, rather contradictory, however, uh, it is not. The way to understand this certain statement is from an ultimate point of view, namely the very occurrence of objects, whether wholesome mental states or unwholesome mental states, in pleasant or unpleasant you know, material or bodily formations, it doesn't matter. As long as they are occurring, it's a form. They are a form of unsatisfactoriness. And once the experience of Nibbana is there, and so a meditator has you know, clearly understood you know, the, the cessation of conditioned formations and how this is peaceful, and then it certainly becomes sorry, and then it becomes very clear that the occurrence of formations is indeed uh, unsatisfactory. So it is during the you know, third insight knowledge uh, that you know, this certain characteristic of uh, unsatisfactoriness you know, becomes certainly uh, evident and as we've seen, based on uh, impermanence. And the two impermanence and uh, unsatisfactoriness are uh, connected. Now, usually, among the three universal characteristics of anicca, dukkha, and anatta, it is anicca, impermanence, which is certainly the easiest to, um, the easiest to understand and the most certainly obvious to meditators. The understanding of unsatisfactoriness is slightly more difficult, and um, the 
characteristic of anatta, of uh, you know, the absence of a self, is uh, the least obvious and the most difficult uh, to gain. And the order that the Buddha has chosen for the three, namely when speaking of them as anicca, dukkha, and anatta, very much you know, reflects what's happening in you know, reality, namely that usually meditators first then come across you know, an understanding of impermanence, then of unsatisfactoriness, and then of non-self. So it's kind of like you know, they are graded. And as a meditator then continues, having understood this universal characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, will then carry on with the meditation and will then, sooner or later, come across of what is known as the ten imperfections of insight. Nine of those are wholesome mental states. One is an intrinsically or in inherently unwholesome mental state. Now, um, as mentioned already yesterday, when mental states like uh, you know, joy or calmness, especially calmness or you know, happiness, uh, arise and then even last for a longer period of time, uh, then this is kind of defeating uh, the earlier you know, insight that you know, gained of uh, unsatisfactoriness. Now, all of a sudden, life is okay again. Life as a meditator is quite okay. And uh, fortunately, all of uh, you know, the unsatisfactoriness is gone. So what to worry about? <laughs> no. So maybe this was you know, the thing with the unsatisfactoriness. Well, maybe this is just a momentary bubble in the, uh, in the meditation practice, nothing to be taken seriously. So. Um, temporarily it appears like this, and it appears like this in particular to the meditator who uh, is not really skilled with regard to, to the unsatisfactory, uh, or with regard to the uh, imperfections of uh, insight. And, but, however, one who is skilled um, will immediately upon the arising of calmness and uh, happiness, label uh, and uh, observe the respective uh, mental state, and uh, then sooner or later this uh, will uh, disappear. Now, within the matured phase of the fourth uh, insight knowledge, well, objects uh, are mostly arising and passing away, seen as quickly arising and passing away. And within this, yes, there may, or a meditator may discover a time, a face of a little bit of unsatisfactoriness, but it's not that prevalent in the beginning. And as one then continues to observe and continues to progress, a meditator will see formations mostly as dissolving. Now, this, as we've seen already yesterday, then represents the peak of the understanding of impermanence. So, as everything is dissolving, then obviously things are impermanent. 
And this particular insight knowledge will uh, then be the driving force for the occurrence of the next insight knowledge. And usually this happens uh, uh, within a very short period of uh, time. And what happens is uh, momentarily a meditator upon seeing the dissolution of formations in a very uh, profound manner uh, may uh, come across uh, an experience of uh, maybe uh, shock, temporary shock. Um, and this is obviously not a pleasant experience, but rather an unpleasant and uh, even unsatisfactory uh, experience. Hence, the aspect of uh, dukkha you know, comes to the foreground. So what you have to understand is, as a meditator, as you're going through the different insight knowledges, um, in some insight knowledges, and the aspect of anicca, of impermanence, will be more predominant. In other insight knowledges, you know, the universal characteristic of uh, unsatisfactoriness or of suffering will be more predominant. And yet, in some other you know, insight knowledges or you know, in certain places, you know, the you know, characteristic of non-self will be you know, most uh, predominant. So over time, you know, things are you know, changing. So you know, when this shock arises, obviously uh, it's a uh, manifestation or a case of uh, you know, dukkha. Now, and uh, as one then continues uh, and uh, continues to you know, see the flaws of formations in the sense of you know, being impermanent and not as one is hoping them to be, namely permanent. And one sees formations as unsatisfactory rather than uh, conducive to pleasure. And one sees formations as lacking a self and not as hoped, uh, you know, um, well, in control or controlled by a self. You know, then you know, some, well, unexplainable type of misery arises. And uh, one doesn't quite understand what's happening, but formations that previously seemed all this and all uh, all that attractive now, now seem to be more of a source of uh, misery. So our our way of relating to you know, the predominant formations is uh, you know, tremendously or fundamentally you know, changing. And this process uh, then goes on you know, during the next insight knowledge uh, where you know, a meditator is uh, um, experiencing formations as uh, uh, rather disenchanting. And uh, you know, they are a source of revulsion, you know, to say you know, the least. Now, this phase in particular is extremely important, even though, of course, it's rather you know, unpleasant and it's very much a, uh, a case of unsatisfactoriness of dukkha. Uh, you know, it's important, you know, namely, uh, on, uh, in order to uh, attain Nibbana. Now, Nibbana is said to be you know, the cessation of uh, formations, of conditioned formations, and 
uh, how can this possibly happen if we continue to grasp and hold on to formations? Now, as long as we're not seeing the flaws of formations, we're bound you know, to hold on to them. But it's only when we start seeing their flaws, their disadvantages, that the mind gradually gets the point and gradually starts letting go of them. And then as a meditator continues to practice, he or she will you know, go through a number of other you know, insight knowledges. Eventually, you know, the mind you know, will you know, stay, or the practice as a whole, you know, will stabilize you know, a lot, and you know, there'll be plenty of equanimity. And then, while observing you know, some you know, object of observation, and it really doesn't matter which one, you know, the contemplation may fall onto this modus of unsatisfactoriness, namely the universal characteristic of uh, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and with this, and this then serves as the door to liberation, the so-called apanahita, vimokra, mukra. So it's in English, this is given as the door of the desireless, no, no, door no, to no, liberation. Now, the meaning of uh, no, this is as desireless. See, when you observe an object as uh, unsatisfactory, so you see the, you know, the dukkha aspect of it you know, in a very profound manner, and then will you still desire this object or not? Obviously not. And uh, having seen uh, its uh, no, no flaws, and uh, hence you know, the you know, contemplation of unsatisfactoriness of suffering you know, leads uh, to a letting go of uh, desire, and this then serves you know, as a way of uh, gaining you know, the Dhamma. And hence, we can say that uh, this contemplation of unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, nupassana, well, covers a wide range in our meditation practice, and and it can lead, ultimately speaking, all the way up to the attainment of Nibbāna. Now, as as with the contemplation of impermanence, here too, in the case of unsatisfactoriness, as mentioned at the outset, the development of the contemplation of unsatisfactoriness leads to an abandoning of the wrongful perception as pleasure. So, by developing it, we abandon something. We abandon, again, a wrongful perception. So, when when we do not undertake this contemplation, then 
and and we keep changing our posture every so often whenever some unholds some difficult mental state arises like sorrow and lamentation distress grief and whatnot and so we distract ourselves we try to get away from it then naturally the perception will arise of pleasure, namely that formations are conducive to pleasure. Now if we keep doing this over years and years and years and years, this perception will be deeply ingrained in the mind and it will have an influence on the mind itself. And it will lead to a perversion or to a distortion of the mind itself or of consciousness. And so, so then consciousness takes certain formations to be um, well conducive to pleasure. And so if this then goes on for years and years, you know, this will shape our you know, view of uh, you know, life or of you know, things, and uh, we will hold the view you know, that formations are you know, conducive to happiness or you know, to you know, pleasure. So, um, not undertaking you know, this contemplation of unsatisfactoriness you know, will have some negative you know, consequences, namely in the form of a distorted you know, perception, a distorted you know, consciousness, and certain you know, distortion of you know, view. And, and it takes a lot of practice to you know, then uh, rectify this uh, process. And we need to, even though it is uh, rather uh, unpleasant, um, we need to observe the unsatisfactoriness formations of formations over and over uh, again you know, to gradually uh, correct uh, you know, this you know, distorted you know, perception, to correct uh, you know, the distortion of consciousness, and to correct uh, you know, the distortion of uh, you know, view. So when we then, through our direct experience of you know, formations, realize that you know, formations are conducive to unsatisfactoriness, then our perception will be correct. And this, over, if repeated many times, will then lead to proper consciousness, and this in turn will lead to the arising of a right view. Now, it is said that the that the distortion of a view will be uprooted uh, through you know, the attainment of uh, the path of stream entry, uh, whereas uh, in the case of uh, uh, the distortion of uh, perception and of uh, consciousness, uh, this uh, gets uprooted only uh, later on. And 
namely through let me see I think you know, through the attainment of uh, arahanship so it is to you know, summarize you know, through the frequent uh, observation of you know, formations as uh, uh, truly unsatisfactory that's uh, we then gradually replace this wrongful perception of formations as pleasurable and of that we also replace the distorted consciousness and distorted view. And there are, with regards you know, to and this understanding of uh, you know, unsatisfactoriness, you know, then you know, very much you know, contributes you know, to the you know, general development in our meditation practice. Now, there are a number of you know, practical you know, aspects that need to be you know, discussed you know, in the context of uh, unsatisfactoriness. Now. One such aspect is or are you know, three strategies of uh, dealing uh, with uh, pain. And it's the Venerosite Upanita Bhivams of uh, Myanmar who is uh, recommending this. So when you observe a pain, then at first you could, you could you know, try to observe it you know, going right into you know, the center of it you know, with full force. And so you stay with it and so you try to know its nature as best as you can. However, over time, you might suddenly tire observing this or observing some intense pain, in which case you might then adopt the second strategy, which is kind of like guerrilla tactics. And so then you withdraw from the pain for a while. However, you're not losing sight of it. You still keep it in view. And from a distance, you kind of observe it. And while you're observing it from a distance, you give your own mind a break and a chance to well, regain some strength. And once the mental strength has been replenished, then you go right back into the pain again. So this strategy could be used a couple of times. If it, too, proves ineffective, then one could resort to the last strategy, and this is simply of ignoring the physical pain and instead focusing one's attention on some other predominant object, such as the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And as one is observing it, the original pain over time may then gradually subside. Now, when it comes to 
the observation of Ferdinand Paine's. It's helpful you know, to know a distinction between practice-related pains and illness-related pains. And the way to tell the difference is, let's say you're sitting and you're working with a pain, and then it's sticking around for a longer period of time, you might start worrying, well, am I or is this certain pain going to damage my health? And so, if if a pain arises in a sitting and then disappears in the same sitting, then obviously it's practice related. And if a pain arises in a sitting and after the sitting it continues for maybe at the most another five minutes or so and then it disappears as you're doing the walking meditation then this pain too is probably practice related however any kind of pain that continues or that arises during the sitting and then continues into the walking session for a longer period of time and doesn't disappear well this uh, then um, would, uh, this should be uh, dealt with properly and uh, this could be uh, then owing to some uh, illness. And in this case it's uh, wise not to push too much. One might indeed ruin one's health. Now, the amazing thing about uh, physical pains and aches and uh, mental states is so they they themselves are dukkha yet there's some good news and what's the good news ah there you go you're right on they're all anicca they're all impermanent so even your greatest uh, pain your greatest dukkha is uh, subject to uh, subject to impermanence anicca and certainly subject to change so it's not going to stay around forever and with strong mindfulness we may see how pain is breaking up and dissolving into parts and particles and each and every one of those then disappears, may disappear. Now, when working with a pain or some difficult mental state, then it's helpful to well apply the right attitude and as I've been mentioning already to many of you during the interviews an attitude of acceptance and patience and determination or perseverance and equanimity works best. So this works much better than maybe getting all angry or all upset about some pain arising in the practice. And if we do get all uptight or upset about some pain, then actually with this we are increasing our suffering. And it becomes twofold. First, 
and there is certainly the bare physical suffering and then on top of this the mental suffering in the form of well getting upset and so it is much easier and to now, observe a pain with an attitude of uh, you know, patience and, and perseverance and certain uh, detachment. And in this way, one is not adding any you know, mental you know, suffering you know, to you know, the whole thing. Now, when we have to you know, work with the pain, it's uh, always... You know, useful to consider it as a friend and not as an enemy, and so to kind of embrace it to, uh, and then to work with it. And why should we consider it as a friend? Because a pain is usually a clear-cut object, and as such it draws our attention, and it will surely help us to develop concentration. And based on the concentration, you know, then arises certain uh, wisdom. So after all, working with the pain is not that certain uh, bad. There are benefits to it. And uh, apart from you know, strengthening one's concentration, can you think of another benefit uh, of uh, another benefit that comes you know, with working you know, with uh, pains? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Go on. So you get more and more skilled at working with pains. Yes, is this indeed a correct point. And apart from this... Pardon me? Or to die with a, uh, uh, with a quiet mind uh, because you're already familiar with pains and uh, they don't upset you anymore. Yes, okay, good. And I have another situation in mind, namely, namely the meditator is strongly overcome by sloth and torpor. So working with pains and aches does what? Uh, Will wake up the meditator, yes. So it will dispel the sloth and torpor. So next time around, next time you know, sloth and torpor is around, you know, then you know, check whether there's some you know, pain somewhere in the body. And if yes, then you know, go for it. And, <laughs> and see it as your friend. <laughs> now, maybe as a last point for... Yeah, today, um, yeah. namely, when we start an intensive meditation retreat, we'll come across a few, you know, well, rather obvious pains and aches, but that's just about it. And so then, as we carry on with the meditation practice, we then... Uh, and our mindfulness improves, and so does our concentration. And then uh, it comes as a big surprise, namely that we are discovering even more pains. So where do these pains then come from? And 
And pains that originally, at the outset of the retreat, were not noticeable. The explanation for this particular phenomenon is as follows, namely, at first, at the outset of one's retreat, the concentration is still somewhat uh, weak, and thus, oh, pains and aches that are uh, rather, uh, well, rather refined, uh, but inherently present in the body, you know, they don't, they're not uh, seen yet. And as then the concentration improves, uh, suddenly these uh, inherent pains, underlying pains, become obvious. They come into the foreground. And uh, um, they may even get stronger and stronger. So the concentration improves and these pains also get stronger. So then, at this point, one might uh, start uh, worrying. Huh? Uh, if it goes on like this, you know, then you know, the practice is going to be very difficult. But fortunately, you know, the, you know, well, the, the solution comes with even greater concentration arising, which then helps, together with mindfulness, to overcome those inherent pains. And eventually they do all subside. So there's a real cycle, a cycle of pains that at first are not there or seem not to be there. Later on, you know, they become obvious, they become distinct, and then they come to a peak, and eventually you know, they you know, then you know, disappear again. And so when you happen you know, to experience this particular phenomenon, you know, then you know, simply just bear with it as best as you can, sit through those pains, and you know, let them help you develop your concentration. Now, this is, uh, this is it for today. Let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by uh, wishing that uh, may the contemplation of unsatisfactoriness, Dukkha Nupasana, lead uh, you, you know, to a clear understanding of uh, uh, understanding and acceptance of Dukkha as Dukkha, and uh, may it help you you know, to overcome you know, the distortion or you know, perversion of uh, perception, taking formations to be you know, pleasurable, and in the end, you know, may uh, even the contemplation of unsatisfactoriness you know, serve uh, as a way you know, to you know, the attainment of uh, the peace of uh, Nibbana. And this is it for today.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.